Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember the 19, uh, 1996 Summer Olympics that uh, took place in Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, people were gathered there from all over the world in the city to participate and watch some of the finest athletes in the world competing in, in 26 different sports. Well, 18 days into the, into the games, Eric Rudolph detonated pipe bombs at Centennial Olympic Park. The blast killed one person and injured 111 others. It was the first of four bombings that were committed by Rudolph in 1996 and early 1997. Rudolph eluded capture for years, but was finally arrested in North Carolina in 2003. Two years later, he pleaded guilty to all, all four bombings. You know, before anyone knew the name of Eric Robert Rudolph, the FBI uh, identified an Atlanta security guard named Richard Jewell as a person of interest, largely because he was something of a, a loner, kind of sort of fit the profile of a lone bomber. And the media had a field day with it. <clears throat> Portraying Jewel as a, a, a failed law enforcement officer who may have planted the, the bond so that he could find it and be hailed as a hero. I mean, it was all false witness. Once the dust settled, it was clear that Jewel was, in fact, a hero. He had spotted the bomb and uh, alerted the appropriate authorities, helped clear the area of spectators in the 13 or so minutes before the, the bomb exploded. So without a doubt, the number of casualties uh, was reduced because of, because of Jewel's actions. Unfortunately though, the damage had already been done to, to Jewel's reputation. His name had been forever connected with the Centennial Park bombing, and if you ask uh, people uh, two or three years after who the bomber was, Inevitably, inevitably, they would men mention his name, even though, even though he'd been exonerated. In 2019, a biographical movie about Richard Jewell, directed by Clint Eastwood, was released. Well, it helped to recover some of Jewell's reputation, but sadly, Jewell died in 2007. So he never saw the benefit of it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the Eighth Commandment is pretty simple. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I would guess that most of you were taught in your catechism classes that this commandment is mainly about gossip, that our false witnesses most often have to do with the way that we talk about one another to third parties. And that's certainly true. But we can't overlook the fact that this commandment in its simplest form, in its simplest meaning, has to do with what is said in the public courts of justice. And that's exactly what we see in the gospel reading for today. Now, we recall that we're working through a sermon series in Lent called uh, uh, Focusing on, on Jesus' Passion and God's Call for Us to Repent and Return to Him. And we're looking at several of the events that occurred along the way as Jesus first went to the cross for our salvation. We're examining the sins committed, 
the idea that these events can help you <clears throat> to recognize your, your own sinfulness uh, and help you hear God's call to return to him as, as a loving word spoken to you as a child of God. He invites you to trust in him for your salvation that was won for you on the cross. Our gospel for today takes us to a dark place. Jesus had been betrayed by Judas Iscariot. The temple guards have seized him and hauled him to Caiaphas, the high priest, and all the scribes and the elders are, are there gathered. They have decided that they're going to put Jesus to death, presumably in order to protect their own power and position. They're determined to, to complete the task by any means necessary. Now that the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death, we read from Matthew 26, 59. That's worth pondering. It's worth stopping there to simply ponder that sentence for a minute. They were actively looking for someone to offer lies under oath with the intention of putting Jesus to death. How evil, do you, how evil do you have to be that you're willing to seek false testimony in order to kill someone? But it gets worse. Matthew said, they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. How evil do you have to be that you are willing to offer false testimony knowing full well that it is intended to lead to another person's death? All that aside, these actions clearly conflict with the Eighth Commandment and its most obvious meaning. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It is, first and foremost, about testifying falsely in court against another person. And so we observe the sin that comes out in the trial. But we don't really feel it, not in a personal way, I suppose, because most of us have never been put in a position where we have to testify in court against someone falsely or otherwise. But Luther, as he does so well, stretches our understanding of the commandment, and in doing so, he brings the weight of the law down on us. See, the law, he says, or the commandment, he says, forbids all sins of the tongue by which we may injure or offend our neighbor. And he writes, It is a common, pernicious plague that everyone would rather hear evil than good about their neighbors. Even though we, we ourselves are evil, we cannot tolerate it when anyone speaks evil of us. Instead, we want to hear the whole wor world say golden things of us. Yet we cannot bear it when someone says the best things about others. Our false testimony often consists of the rumors and innuendos that we utter about other people. The whispered, did you hear? or the murmured, you're not going to believe this, that slips off our tongues. The half-truths and outright lies that we speak about brothers and sisters without ever speaking directly to them. 
the slander, and the backbiting that we often delight in sharing. Luther boils it down to this. No one shall use the tongue to harm a neighbor, whether friend or foe. No one shall say anything evil of a neighbor, whether true or false, unless it is done with proper authority or for that person's improvement. Which is to say, shared one-on-one directly with the person in a spirit of love and concern. Look, we have all broken this commandment. You have broken this commandment, and you are deserving of the punishment for that sin. Each of us has, and each of us is. But God calls you to another path. He invites you to return to him. Turn and leave behind your sins of false witness and see that he has something much different in mind. God protects your reputation through the kind words that others speak about you, and he encourages you to be part of it. To know, first of all, that Christ endured all of that false witness in Jerusalem in order to reconcile you to God, to win forgiveness for all your false witnesses. And second, to empower you to speak the best about others, to help protect their reputations, and to always put the best construction on everything. Much like Paul after his road to Damascus conversion, when he was empowered to turn from his own false witnesses about Christ in order to speak the very best about our Lord and our Savior. You can too, and you get to all because of what Christ has done for you. Return to the Lord your God. Receive his love and his forgiveness. Turn aside from your sins and serve the Lord with all your heart. He will not forsake you. Amen. May the peace of God which passes all understanding guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.